Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. And since it's college basketball season, Mr. Mike Randall joins us as well. 29 days until Selection Sunday, 33 until Christmas morning and the opening round on that Thursday. What's going on, gentlemen? I feel great. I have a lot of stamina, a lot of energy, which is way different than the university that I graduated from. They are dead in the water. Uh, I feel fantastic. I mean, are we going to sleep for the next month? Who cares? Honestly, I mean, it's, it's got to be the best time of year. Yeah, no sleep for the next uh, month and a half. And then baseball will start up, Con. I know you're going to do a baseball podcast here shortly with... Uh, our baseball savant, Sean Zarillo, correct? Yeah, yeah. Everybody should uh, look at the Action Network podcast feed next week. I believe uh, early in the next week, we're going to have two separate pods. One's going to be for the American League and one's going to be for the National League. And for each team, we're going to cover it from three different angles. We're going to look at futures on each team, the win total on each team, and fantasy value. So for you fantasy players out there, there's going to be a little bit in there about sleepers you should take, guys that are falling with average draft position. It's going to be a lengthy podcast, but if you've been looking forward to ML, be it's going to take care of everything you need all right let's get into the week that was and then we'll talk some conference usa touch on a little aac we had some crazy crazy scheduling stuff today so there's no guest but we should have i think a guest on at least almost every podcast college basketball podcast going forward but we'll get into friday we'll get into saturday we'll talk some conference usa um as i mentioned but let's first start with the week that was there's a lot going on so let's just go around the horn. We can rant a little bit, talk about what happened. I guess before we go around the horn, I, I have to start with that UNC Duke game. I mean, that was one of the most absurd games I've, I can remember. And I mean, do we know Duke's not great from the free throw line, but I guess all of those misses, they get practice missing all those free throws and it paid off. Uh, I've never seen so many missed free throws get offensive rebounded. And then that, that play by Trey Jones was just unbelievable. And then UNC can't win their Super Bowl. Somehow Duke steals that game. Randall, I'll start with you. Any takeaways from that Duke-UNC game? Yeah, I am a big, and I'm in the minority here. I'm in a big do not foul when you're up three, unless unless you have practiced exactly how to execute it. Billis says on the game, okay, they want to foul here before the ball gets inbounded, 6.1 seconds left. They want to foul a little over half court, under five seconds. Trey Jones gets the ball. He sprints up the court. They foul him right at half court, 4.4 seconds. What does Billis say? Well, it's a little early. I mean, no, people talk about it, but they don't talk about the finer details. Trey Jones goes to the line. He makes the first. He's a good free throw shooter. Then 
instead of going through his whole routine while all the UNC players have their hands below their waist, they're bending down. He cuts the routine short because the UNC players like Pavlov's dogs are expecting the whole thing and he fires it off the rim and gets it back. I don't think guys, now that we've seen this over and over again, I think teams are adjusting. Once Trey Jones gets that ball back, UNC has no idea what to do. Are they going to foul? Are they not going to foul? They're totally on the defensive. It reminds me in pro football when teams play prevent and you go right down the field on them because you're not playing any defense. I think if you're going to do that, you have to practice it. You can't just tell your team to do it. Great job by Trey Jones, 18 to 21. I would have liked to see UNC double him, maybe live or die with someone else making a three here, like Jordan Goldwire, okay, instead of Trey Jones. Terrible loss. As you said, Stuck, last week, that was their Super Bowl, and they lost it. Some of the math actually suggests that fouling up three overall doesn't make sense, but I would argue that it always does as long as you know how to execute it. And there's other variables that come into play, but you have to do it under a certain amount of time, you know, especially if the other team's in a one and one then you definitely always want to, it's not even a question, but there's so many other variables, but I think that if you can execute it and you practice it, then, you know, you have to wait until certain teams foul up up three up with six, seven seconds left. That's way too much time because then you, you can miss the free throws. You have to take into account also if you're in the double bonus. With 4.4 seconds left, I would have told, told Jones, make them both because they have to get the ball inbounds, right? That's not automatic. We saw that in the overtime, right? It's not easy to get the ball inbounds. So I thought it was way too early. I mean, even if you do foul, there's still enough time to get down the court. I mean, we saw uh, South Florida get down the court and uh, shout out to Riddo for that uh, amazing cover. He just got the ball and said, I'm going to go cover this game last night against Houston in one of the more more epic fashions we've seen. Colin, any thoughts on UNC Duke? No, I mean, North Carolina had a nine-point lead at halftime, and then they had a 90% win expectancy from like six minutes on for the rest of the game. And then just a complete meltdown there in the final minute of overtime. This seems to be a theme for teams where they're having meltdowns just at the most crucial moments. And I'll bring up West Virginia. Uh, You know, they got to 49 points with five minutes left, and they never scored again against Kansas at one point had a nine point lead. So it's just, you know, we're getting closer and closer to March Madness and some teams are choking. That brings up an interesting point that I wanted to talk about here, which is we we had some, a lot of losses at the top, you know, Baylor keeps winning, San Diego state keeps winning um, and they're doing an impressive fashion, even though they're not playing anybody in their conference. Dayton keeps rolling. I mean, their offense is just unbelievably efficient. You know, you have Duke on a little bit of a roll, but then you had, you know, kind of that next tier in Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga did the St. Mary's uh, last weekend. I mean, that was just a complete evisceration. I mean, that game was over five minutes into it. Um, So, you know, and then I think Kansas probably had the most impressive win of the weekend or the week, I should say, at West Virginia um, in a game where West Virginia just went stone cold. And I mean, Bill Self out coach Huggins in that second half, but West Virginia scored three points in the final nine minutes and no points in the final five minutes of that game. But it raises the question, who is the best team? If I look at my power ratings right now, we're going to start publishing these on actionnetwork.com. I have Kansas as the number one team in the country. And I think, you know, I think that they're the most complete team. You, know, you have two potential All-Americans of an inside-out duo, right? With Dotson and Azubuki, you have Garrett, who is just the ultimate glue guy. Um, now you have some shooters surrounding them, right? With Moss, Christian Brown. And then, you know, if Igbaji is also playing well, I mean, that team is just super dangerous. He's the wild card. They're really hard to beat. Now, the thing is, is that they're not un, 
beatable. It's what I think could come back to to bite them and, and what it's going to come down to in the tournament is does Azubuki pick up two quick fouls at any one point, right? And if he does, they're a different team on the defensive end, on the offensive end as well. Um, so that's going to determine, I think, whether or not they can get upset. But I think overall, when healthy and not in foul trouble, I think they're the most complete roster. I currently have Gonzaga number two, then Duke, then a little bit of a drop off, you know, to Dayton, Baylor, San Diego State. And then it's, a, you know, it's a, a big mush. I mean, it's just a Louisville, Seton Hall. Both of those teams dropped games this week. Then, you know, Maryland almost lost in a bad call and out of bounds, but almost lost at home to Nebraska. Penn State, maybe the most impressive, other impressive team in the top 25 this week. And then you have the questions of Sparty and Arizona. Where do you put them? Kentucky's on the rise, in my opinion. Before we get to Arizona and Michigan State, because I think that those are interesting case studies, let me just start with uh, Randall, I'll start with you. Who do you think is the best team in the country? And then just kind of give me a lay of the land for your like top 10 and how the, and what those tiers look like. Best team in the country right now, I agree, is Kansas. They are 7-0 and in conference on the road. That's the main reason why I picked them against West Virginia, because I've picked against them a couple times on the road. They come out like gangbusters. They play well. They battle. They have a huge advantage to the guard position against West Virginia. I'm looking, guys, for teams all around talent, really solid guard play, and a superior coach. Those teams to me are separate. And post play. Throw them post play too. It's maybe the best post player in the country. Yeah, that's the bonus. If you'd have the post play without the guard, like West Virginia, I get a little sketchy. But if you have the guard and you have the post play, that's a deadly combination. And I'm looking for teams with a superior coach. So I agree. I'm going Kansas. I'm going Gonzaga. If Petrusev stays on the court and he plays well, and I want to see guys how they're going to do against BYU. BYU has Baxter now who can give Childs a couple minutes. That's a huge test for me. If they go in and pound BYU, BYU, like they did against St. Mary's, then they're right up there with Kansas to me. So right now it's Kansas 1, Gonzaga 1A. After that, Duke, sure. Listen, Baylor, I think Scott Drew's been a real good coach for a long time. He has a style. He has good guard play. I think they match up well with West Virginia, by the way, for that reason, because I think they can rebound inside with Gillespie and limit West Virginia's strength. So to me, those teams are separating themselves from the rest of the pack. Gonzaga, BYU, by the way, is next Saturday night. Yeah, Kansas, look, the market, uh, like I would have them at close to one and a half point favorite over Gonzaga, two point favorite over Duke, three point favorite over Dayton, three and a half over Baylor, San Diego State for reference, four over Louisville and Seton Hall. The market just, I don't think, thinks Kansas is as good as they are. And you see that they're, where their lines open, they get steamed against and they cover every game almost in, in conference. Um, it's it's been very impressive, and uh, I think they're the most complete team by far. But what Gonzaga did to St. Mary's last Saturday night, now it's one game, and they're not going through the grueling a grueling power conference schedule like Kansas. But you have to respect what they did there, and and you know some of what they did out of conference and the pedigree, um, you know, and the coaching of Mark Few. Colin, what are your thoughts on on the top team and kind of just the the lay of the land at the top? Yeah, the question proposed, I remember that we that we talked about pre-podcast was, what's the best team in the country for the money? So immediately I started looking at Yale being 15-5 and five against the spread. Winthrop was 12-1 and one against the spread on the road. But let's get serious here. When it comes to you know national title contenders, the thing that's really important to me when I start picking brackets, not just the matchups, because those are important too, but what team has proven to me on neutral sites and on the road? San Diego State is 8-1 and one against the spread, and that's fine because we've looked at the level of competition they've been going up against. But the thing is, is oddsmakers have not been able to catch up to the San Diego State team all season. I mean, eight and one against a spread on the road, but even more impressive than that, they're covering the road number by an average margin of plus 14.3 points. They are blowing the point spread out of the water on the road. Uh, for me, that is a big indicator about what's going to happen in the postseason. Yeah. And we've said this before, 
but I think that a a major addition for San Diego State, and they think that they might be able to get him back for the Mountain West Conference tournament, which would mean he would obviously be back for the NCAA tournament, is Nathan Mensa, who's out with respiratory issues. He hasn't played since December 28th. He hasn't, he hasn't played any conference games after those two random ones early in the season uh, in early December. We played well offensively. You know, he'll give you sometimes 14, 12, but his presence on the defensive end, I think, can really make them a player and compete with some of these better teams. But yeah, I mean, the, the results are there for San Diego state and, the, and they, they're a covering machine as well. Um, I think that the two most interesting teams in the top 25 are Michigan state and Arizona. And the reason I say that is look, Michigan state, we, we're talking about teams that can cover in Kansas and San Diego state, Michigan state can't cover. When's the last time they covered? I mean, Northwestern at home. Once. Uh, Once on the road. Yeah, that's it. Once. Yeah, and then at Minnesota, they had that game. But Wisconsin, they lose. Underman Wisconsin, too. They lose at home to Penn State. They lose at Michigan. They do beat Illinois, but they were down, what, 18 in that game? And, you know, they they had a dunk in the final seconds. They win by one, laying one and a half. They're still top 20 in adjusted efficiency on offense and defense. Overall, they're, during conference play, they're the best defensive team by far. Their defense has been outstanding at home. But something is just missing offensively. But the analytics love them. And then same with Arizona. And Arizona has one of the most puzzling losses of the year uh, last weekend at home against UCLA. Double-digit favorite. They lose 65-52. to 52. Um, this, this team has multiple pros. And, you know, their top 15 adjusted efficiency on offense. Their defense is okay. Uh, 41st adjusted efficiency. But the, the talent is just so palpable on that team. And, you know, some of the advanced metrics – uh, a lot of models like um, I currently I after that game I dropped them significantly I have them down at 19th overall but you'll see you know some others around 10th 12th I think Kempom has them at 14th right now um, but you know they lose that game a 22 point lead to Arizona State they lose by one they did lose by one to Oregon in overtime um, you know they lost by three to St. John's on a neutral they lost at home to Gonzaga in the closest game they haven't been able to close them out. You know, that, that loss to UCLA at home is just extremely perplexing to me. So are you buying Arizona and or Michigan State? What do you make of those two teams that just seems like something's off? But, you know, a lot of models and people out there still continue to like both teams. Uh, Randall, I'll start with you. Any thoughts on either? Well, Michigan State is very dependent, like you said, Kansas with Azabuki on Cassius Winston. When he got his fourth foul in that game against Illinois, they were up 14. The game change when he goes out, but I think that's unfair to say because everyone is sensitive to one player this year. It's like a, a constant Jenga puzzle. The Michigan State thing that concerns me is they're four and seven after that win in quad one wins. When they went into the bracket preview last week, they only had three wins in quad one. So I think we're still just relying on Michigan State because of last year and because we know, quote, Izzo always gets it going. I mean, their strength of schedule is 56. Their non-conference strength of schedule is 80. So it's not like they've been fantastic. It's just we're used to seeing them, you know, doing what they, what they normally do. I think what Michigan State, too, is they have a neutral site loss early in the season of Tech, And then people – took that as well. Look at this Vought Tech team, even though this Vought Tech team right. is pretty devoid of talent outside of Landers knowledge. But they, they were like, oh, maybe this Vought Tech team is going to be good, but has done nothing since then. Um, so keep that in mind as well. 
Yeah, because they have the Wofford coach. So people expected the Wofford magic to rub on to Virginia Tech. I just think they got hot in that game. I think Arizona, you want to say paper tiger, call them paper wildcats. I think Arizona is very overvalued. They're a fascinating team. You said it, 14th in Ken Palm. They're ninth in the net. I have no idea why. My guess is strength of schedule is seventh. Non-conference strength of schedule is 13th. They're only two and five against quadrant one teams. Only two quadrant one wins. They had the 21-point win over Illinois at home. That was the big win, but the losses are kind of even misleading. You talked about UCLA. They lost big at Baylor, but they closed it at the end to make it look respectable. They were getting blown out at home against Gonzaga, but they closed it at the end to make it look close. They blew the huge lead at Arizona State, lost by one. Then they lost on a neutral to St. John's. They were getting blown out there and they closed. It was in California. So I don't think they've been that impressive. They do have a lot of talent, but they're young. And I think when you look at the numbers of their games, they look a lot closer than they really were. I don't think they've really dominated any point outside for the Illinois game at home back in November. Yeah, that was in November 8th, too. We know how different teams look and not to take too much from those, you know, first week of November games. Um, and speaking of Illinois, who's now, you know, who's proved itself to be a, a, you know, a bona fide top 25, top 30 team since early in the season, they beat Nichols State at home in overtime, right? So, I mean, and then they went, you know, they beat Grand Canyon on the road. So, I mean, this team wasn't clicking as it was now. This team had lost to Miami at home in early December. So it's not like the Illinois that we've seen lately, although the Illinois lost uh, three straight here. Now they go to Rutgers and what should be a big game for Illinois in seeding and just where they stand. And I don't know if we have, do we have any update on DeSumo? I know there, the act that was. Yeah, yeah he's good. But he's, yeah, he's good. He's, he avoided damage, but, but, yeah, how, but long how long is he out? Do we know? I think it's day to day. That. Yeah. So that, that's something to keep an eye on because he's obviously, extremely important for Illinois. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you just pull up a, a mock draft, I mean, you have three Arizona players and three freshman Arizona players all going in the top 15, 20 in some mock drafts with potentially many being a lottery pick. So the talent is all there. I mean, I don't know how many other teams can say they have three first potential first round picks. Uh, I don't well, you know, I, you know what I'll tell you the key is you're right. I mean, those are, first round talents, but their first round talents are going to have to sit for a little bit. You know, when we think first round talent, we're thinking of a guy comes in like a Zion John Morant who makes an impact right away. So yeah, I, I mean, Comanion could play a little bit for sure, but I don't think those three guys step into a starting lineup in the NBA. I think they're guys that come in, they play a little bit here and there and they're groomed for two or three years. So I think what you're seeing is the talent is there, but whether they're ready to actually step forward and dominate here on the court in college, that's another question. Yeah. Now, I mean, you could argue Kentucky with Hagens, Maxi, maybe Kansas, Dotson, Azubuki, and Agbaji. I mean, I, you could, I could see those three going in the first round. And then the, Washington actually has two projected first rounders, and they're going to get their point guard back, but they can't win a game here. But that's what maybe we talked about this before. That's what makes them an interesting uh, potential sleeper in the Pac-12 tournament. Kyle, any thoughts on what, what, what are your th- just general thoughts of either Arizona or Michigan State? I've said it on a podcast before, and I'll say it again. I don't trust Michigan State with my money. For or against, it's just a team that I'm going to try to avoid having any kind of investment on whatsoever. Arizona is a different story, though, for me. I mean, they had a three-game winning streak until they shot 25% in a loss against UCLA. But there were there were signs out there that this was going to happen because they shot lower than 40% from the field in wins against Washington and Wazoo leading up to this UCLA game. And if you look at their overall shooting percentage on the season, uh, you know, from 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 three, it's 36%, and from two-point range, it's 51%. But that's a little bit misleading because in conference play, they've been one of the worst two-point shooting teams in the conference at 46%. 
Uh, so, you know, I just think right now they're currently in a shooting funk. They haven't shot over 40% in a, a multiple number of games. They're second in offensive efficiency and fifth in defensive efficiency in all of the Pac-12. And like we said, I mean, all the individual talent in the world is there. Uh, and they have, you know, an advantage on the boards on both sides of the, on both sides of the court against everybody inside the Pac-12. They're 20th in the nation in, in average height, but they're extremely inexperienced. Uh, and, and they don't have much with minutes continuity. So, you know, this is a team that is uber talented and can make a run if they can pick it up with the shooting. But the shooting is what's really hurt them the last four games. All right. We'll have much more on the top of the class uh, as February progresses and as we get into March. Before we get into the weekend, let's start with Conference USA. Now, Conference USA is a really interesting conference in that their conference play, scheduled conference play, I should say, ends this weekend. There's 14 teams and they have a very innovative schedule. What they do is after after their 14 games, um, then the top five play in the first pod, right? And they'll play each other. Um, so that's four games each. And then six through 10 are in one pod. And then 11 through 14 are in another pod. And then the top 12 make the conference tournament. The thinking behind them changing this is that at the top, you know, those top five, top five teams, they're going to get to play better teams more, right? So if, the, if it's a year where you can get an at-large, you can improve your resume by playing other top teams in the conference. Now, it doesn't look like the Conference USA will get an at-large this year. It's a, I would say it's a fairly down year, and it looks like it's a very wide-open conference. I look at my power ratings. I still have, and I might need to change it, I still have Louisiana Tech um, as their 70th in my power ratings, and North Texas is 72. Then Western Kentucky, 115. Charlotte's actually 142. Yeah, Charlotte's actually a really interesting team in that, you know, last year they were extremely young and they had a new coach, Sanchez, as a Tony Bennett protege. He implemented the pack line. They had to learn a new system. Defense, for those that aren't familiar when we say pack line, it's like a man to man, you know, it's what Virginia runs. It's essentially a man to man in a way. Like you play man on the ball while the other four defenders are packed inside the paint. So it makes it really hard to drive, to dribble, drive, and kick out. You always have someone pressuring the ball. You know, if someone picks up his dribble, you can go pressure that ball, try to create a turnover. But it really tries to create forced shots, forced outside contested shots. Charlotte's doing a really good job at that. They also had the best recruiting class of any team in Conference USA. And uh, Jameer Young has been a revelation for them as a freshman. Um, so Charlotte's a really interesting team, one of the most improved in the conference. And as of right now, if you look at the conference standings, you know, because you're going to keep this in mind on Saturday – because some games could matter for these pods. But as of right now, North Texas is sitting at 10-2 and two in the conference, and Western Kentucky is 9-3, and three. La Tech 8-4, FIU 8-4, Charlotte 8-4. So those are the five teams that you probably should see in the top pod, because then there's a big drop-off to FAU at 6-6, six and six, Marshall 6-6, six and six, ODU 6-6, six and six, UAB, UTSA, UTEP. UTSA and UTEP have been very disappointing. Then Rice... Southern Miss and Middle Tennessee. Rice is actually one of the more interesting teams because they're in that bottom pod and they were a disaster for most of the year, but they've, they beat North Texas at home. They won at UAB and then they won at Middle Tennessee State. So they've won three straight, which is three of their four conference wins. That's It's a team that just bombs threes. That's all they do. High variance team. They play no defense, uh, but just keep that in mind with Rice. They're just, they're bombers. But uh, I think if I were to give my quick thoughts on the conference and who I'm interested in, I think the most complete team, you know, and, and La Tech has a lot of talent with Bracey at guard. They run four, a four-guard lineup. 
Uh, but something just seems off with them. I, I think North Texas is probably the most complete team. I love their coach. They, they do it on both ends. They're snail on offense. Their defense has been there all year, but their offense is now starting to really come around. And a lot, what a lot of that has come to is James Reese, who's playing a lot better. He's giving them an outside shot. It's opening up their offense. Thomas Bell comes off the bench. Um, you know, then you have Hamlet, the Juco kid, top 20 Juco kid. Uh, they brought in a big from North Dakota state. So, you know, and then throw in Simmons and Gibson there. It's a really, it's a really complete team in my opinion. And they've won every game since January 3rd, outside of that rice game uh, on the road, they lost 84, 75 and, you know, rice just went bombs away from three, went 15 of 28. But I think North Texas is the most intriguing team in this conference as far as getting into the dance, maybe making some noise. They're going to grind you down, play good defense. The offense is really trending up. Offensive rating about 10 to 12 points higher in their last six conference games than it was their first six. Western Kentucky, have to throw them out there. I mean, they're just so small and they have no depth. I mean, they lost Charles Bassey, which was just a killer. But, you know, you still have Hollingsworth and and it's a really talented team. Uh, I just don't know if they have enough to cause any, to make any noise in the tournament. And then keep in mind, FIU, tempo. They don't want to get any rebounds. They just want to, they just want to go. So you're going to get a lot of offensive rebounds with them. They're one of the fastest teams in the country. Um, They just want to go, go, go. ODU on the opposite end, they want to get every rebound. They're slow. Their offense is terrible. Good defense. And uh, that's kind of my quick thoughts on the Conference USA and catching you up on as many teams as I can um, in a, in a, in a quick rundown fashion and keep your Javon Jackson, probably one of the most exciting players for UTSA. Meet me. He can go for 45 on any given night. Um, we'll obviously have to talk about the conference USA before the conference USA tournament when we preview that, but I just wanted to kind of catch people up on a conference that not many people follow closely. Um, so let me throw it to you, Randall first. So what do you, you have a team that you want to call out in the conference USA or, or just any general thoughts? Yeah, you talked about it. That the the uh, grouping here is very interesting, especially for betting, because like you said, a team like Rice, you can really identify who can win a few games here because they're standing out amongst that lower group. Last year, if you look at the records in these in these games that they played now, when they were in those those separate brackets, there groups of five and the group of four, you had Marshall who ended up going four and zero, despite the fact that they were at the bottom of that top five. You had FIU going three and one in the middle, and surprise, surprise, you had Rice going three and one, even though they were on the bottom. So if you can identify the team that's sort of standing out from their group, I think there's some money to be made there. You talked about Western Kentucky. Rick Stansberry's done a real nice job there when they lost Bassey to the knee injury in that uh, OT win over Arkansas. Sorry, Colin. That Hilltoppers are now nine and three in conference play. They're just right behind North Texas ever since then. The team that I'm staring at, you mentioned them is Charlotte. You know, Sanchez with Ben for 15 years, Washington State, then UVA. Now it's his second year in Charlotte. The defense is really starting to peak for him. In conference USA play, they're third in adjusted defense. They hold opponents at 30% from three, and they're third in defensive rebounding. So Charlotte has wins over Davidson, Wake Forest, and Valco, which is not bad for a team that was predicted 12th out of 14 in the preseason poll. So a team that I think can make some noise late in the season is definitely Charlotte. Besides North Texas, like you said, who's doing real well and really has everything going on here at the top of the conference. Yeah, I think the the most interesting part about this conference is there's such a contrast in a lot in the way that a lot of these teams play, which makes it really interesting. And with no no one clear dominant team, it also makes it pretty wide open. And like I mentioned, Western Kentucky has zero depth, especially now with Bassey out. 
they might start wearing down here, especially, you know, maybe at UTSA on Saturday, maybe Jackson goes nuts for UTSA. I mean, you saw it against Southern Miss last Saturday after Western Kentucky beat La Tech a couple days later, they really struggle with Southern Miss. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Colin, any thoughts on Conference USA that you want to touch on? No, I mean, we touched some of the teams that I had in my notes. I mean, North Texas currently slots at, uh, at a 13 seed in bracketology. No other team in Conference USA is on the bubble or left out or anything. So, I mean, the, it's a race for the rest of these teams. Western Kentucky's beaten North Texas uh, back on January 2nd, so that's something to watch for. But when Stucky mentioned that there's a contrast in styles, I mean, North Texas, the top team, and is, is projected to make the tournament. They're 349th in the country in tempo. Uh, there's some top 25 paces here in this conference, Florida International, Marshall, UTSA. So it's definitely something to watch down the stretch. But the team that I circled and and, and was going to talk about, you guys already have, is Rice. I mean, Rice started out 1-8 and eight in conference. They're now on a three-game winning streak, but it doesn't matter because they're going to end up in this 11-14 to 14 seeding pod and they're going to go up against other teams like Southern Miss and Middle Tennessee. And, and like you said, Rice loves to shoot, shoot threes or second in the conference and offensive efficiency. They may have the worst defense in the conference, but so does Middle Tennessee and so does Southern Miss. I think Rice is good to go for a number of games until we get to the conference tournament and maybe they'll, you know, catch fire and start believing themselves a little bit and get a win or two. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so that should give you a better idea of what's going on in Conference USA. Uh, before we get to some rants in the weekend, which is why everyone is here, uh, just a quick update on the American. You know, you had Houston get another win last night. I thought it was an impressive win against a South Florida team that I think is playing a lot better and, and a team to watch here down the stretch with Rudeau and Collins in the backcourt. Temple has come back to win. I still think they're absolutely terrible. They've had two miracle, miracle wins the last two games against SMU and Tulane. They'll now actually play Villanova on Sunday uh, in an interesting out-of-conference Big Five game. I, I still think they're terrible. Tulsa's kind of coming back down to earth. You know, you have SMU, just all offense, no defense. Memphis is kind of just hanging on here. Wichita State, I think, is starting to fall. And then I think you're starting to see separation at the top with Cincinnati and Houston. Talked about Cincinnati's defense. We know that they were, they were going to be really good, but their offense is starting to figure it out a little bit here. They did lose that game to Connecticut in overtime, but before then they had wins over Temple, SMU, Houston, Wichita State, and ECU. Uh, they won five straight. I think Houston's clearly the best team in this conference, You know, especially when, when Grimes is on. Uh, you know, To go along with Jerome and Mills, I, this team – is extremely dangerous and you got white in the middle, but you know, they're going to rebound, you know, they're going to play defense. But I think that these are the two best teams in the conference and starting to separate themselves. I think Wichita state, which you got to give credit to Marshall for what he's done, but they're just so young. Uh, but I think Wichita state Tulsa, were a little bit of fool's gold here. I think temple stinks. Connecticut, I think is, is a little better than what they played. They've been a little unlucky here. South Florida, I think is trending up and uh, you know, SMU, you know, what you're going to get, they just don't really, guard anybody and they have a pretty good offense. Randall, thoughts on American? Yeah, impressive job by Houston. They, they seem disjointed beginning of the year. I, I don't trust the shooting outside. I mean, this goes back to when when Quentin Grimes was in Kansas. I just didn't didn't trust him at all. But, but yeah, Houston's rebounding has been tremendous. I, I'm a little higher on Tulsa than you are. I mean, they play that unique zone. They had a good run there. Rochelle got hurt. He's back. So I, I think they can actually make some noise. And then, of course, the one to me, if you're looking for like a lower seed that can make a run, it's tough to believe in Memphis. I'll, I'll believe in Memphis if they win tonight at Cincinnati. That spread is six. I kind of like Cincinnati to win big there. Ochoa was warming up, so he's going to play. 
but I, I will see how that goes. But Connecticut, Danny Hurley said they're coming, you know, get us now. Cause we're coming. And since he gave that big speech, they lost away at Memphis. It was close. They beat Tulsa away. That's impressive by 16. They beat Cincinnati. I know it was a foul, but they beat Cincinnati at home by one. And then they played tough at SMU, which is an easy place to play and lost by four. So if you're looking for a team that can get hot here that no one wants to play that's towards the bottom, I would look at UConn. But Houston, Cincinnati, and Tulsa have separated themselves from me. SMU is a lot of talent, but they just haven't put it together. And, and Memphis is young, and their free throw shooting in Memphis is atrocious. So tough to trust them. And Connecticut just still running a little bad. They were running really bad for the last couple of games from three both offensively and defensively, you can expect, uh, I would think, a little correction towards the back end of the conference schedule. I didn't even mention for Houston, Nate Hinton, do it all guard, who's averaging close to a double-double. Extremely impressive sophomore. Colin, thoughts on the American? No, I just had South Florida here. I mean, this is obviously right now just a one-bid league uh, with Houston at the top. Cincinnati is uh, last four out, so there's not going to be a lot of teams from this conference that make it into the dance. But South Florida, for me, got to cover. Won me some money last night. Got to cover against Houston. What a cover. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> pounding my chest on that one. It's going to lead right into my rant here a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, there's three straight wins against Memphis, UCF, and Tulane, with Memphis being the most impressive out of their two-point win uh, on the road. South Florida is a grinder of a team, adjusted tempo of 326 in the nation, and they're top 50 uh, in offensive rebounds. So they're they're a tough they're a tough team to handle if you don't got the goods on the boards, uh, and, and you know their pace of play can can hammer you down. They got a, a, a relatively a schedule that's manageable. I mean, they got Tulsa, Wichita State, and, and Connecticut, and then lowly East Carolina coming up. And and I think that this team can get some confidence. It's definitely someone in the conference tournament that long shot odds. Maybe I'll take a look at. Good recap there. I think South Florida Tulsa again will tell us a lot. Like how much mm-hmm. on the upswing is South Florida and where is Tulsa's? Where does Tulsa stand? You know, Tulsa did get a win the other day, but it was a home against East Carolina. How much can you take from that? So, you know, they have South Florida and then Houston on the road. So we'll learn a lot about Tulsa. And is it what Randall's thinking? He's still a little believer in that defense. Um, the thing that scares me, South Florida, is they turn it over a ton, which is not great against Tulsa. But they should be able to crash the glass. So it'll be an interesting game I might get involved in. But let's move on to, before we get to the weekend, let's get in some rants here. Losing money is never fun, but sometimes it's worth the story. Because a bad beat is a dope beat. I need a dope beat, a dope beat, a dope beat, a dope beat. I'll start here. I'm going to go with the two meltdowns last night. Now, luckily, I had some first half, but Villanova, Colin benefited from this. I think he had Marquette. I mean, up 18 in control. If I lose another goddamn game where Marquette is hitting just bomb threes in the last two minutes contested and everyone goes in, Marquette, uh, it's Nova, you know, leads the entire game up 10 with two minutes to go. Marquette, it's a three. And then they keep missing free throws. Robinson Earl is an 85% free throw shooter. Misses a front end, goes four of eight over a long stretch. And then, of course, Marquette misses the front end. They get the, the, a rebound tie-up. Possession's obviously Marquette. And then Marcus Howard hits a three. And then, of course, Villanova goes to the line up three. I even got a good number early of four. They missed the first. Again, 85% free throw shooter. Make the second. And I tweeted um, almost 45 seconds before this play happened. Marcus Howard, three at the bell.gif, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And Marquette loses by one. Uh, Villanova gets the win. That, along with, you know, the two-lane meltdown where they didn't score a bucket, I think, over the last nine minutes, and Temple took their first lead in the final 30 seconds and then made all their free throws and went up four. And then while West Virginia just 
went into a coffin for the last nine minutes. Those were frustrating. Now, you got to remember the good ones. Look, South Florida, after they missed four free throws, get a little layup at the end. And then Texas Santa Corpus Christi hits a three to get me in the back door. Um, but th- those, I, I had a rant about them because th- those were just, to have all those happen at the same time where you just feel like your team cannot score in the last couple minutes um, was extremely frustrating. Vanderbilt melting down on Tuesday. I'll throw that one in there as well. Um, and then Texas. I don't know how much money I'm going to lose on Texas this year, people. Um, they're a simple team, like I said, on the college football pot. And by a simple team, I mean just fade them. But, man, catching six and a half and they lose by seven, that was frustrating because after what happened last weekend and then the LSU game the other weekend, oh, boy. Yeah, those are some of my rants for the week. Randall, what do you got? I'll tell you, I would have been in a straight jacket and unable to be on this pod if Ohio State did not cover barely against Rutgers last night. They dominated that game. They played well. They were up. And then again, this late game comeback drove me nuts. Rucker, that Rutgers three goes in late. You're fucked. I know. That's exactly right. It's been a very good week for me, but I'm going back to last Friday because that was the night that kept me up all night. First off, Yale, can you beat Harvard? You're 4-0. You lost by two at Penn State. You beat Vermont at home by 13. You have a true road win at Clemson. No Seth Towns for Harvard, out for the year. Knee injury at the Plester two years ago. He's never gotten right. No Bryce Aiken foot injury. You're home to Harvard. You've lost six in a row. You can control this league because Princeton sells and played a lot of the top teams, and they still have to play Harvard again. Yale gags it. They let Danilo DeJuracek have a season high of 17 points, three or four from three. The guy's such a stud. How many have against Brown the next night? Zero. And losing to a color is never good, guys. Terrible job by Harvard. And then Yale comes back and loses the night before. Just awful. As for Troy later that night. Swain had 33, Atkinson at 28. Right, exactly. It's a free throw Uh, at the end. It's a free throw then. Terrible job. Also that night later on, Troy. I love Scott Cross as a coach. I think he got screwed at Texas Arlington. Now he's at Troy. They push at home against South Alabama. And then just to finish me off on Friday, Buffalo's leading 35-19 to the offensive juggernaut that is Central Michigan. They give up 41 second-half points at home, and I lose by the hook. So Friday was not fun for me. Good week, but bad Friday. This Friday's got to get better. I'm curious to get a, a quick uh, – when we get to Friday, I'll, I'll ask you about the Ivy, but let me get we'll, – so we'll get back to Yale. Colin, i got to let you get some rants in here. They all can't be Gonzaga against St. Mary's. I know that was a game that we potted about, I wrote about, and I just like the Gonzaga size, and, and they boat raced them, almost doubled their points by halftime. And when you bet on games like that, they can't all be like that. And I'm not the kind of guy that – Thanks you know, for rubbing it in that I bet Mary. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm leading, in, I'm leading in to how bad I am. So, you know, they, they, they can't all be like that. And you turn around, and in the past week, I've had Lehigh minus eight against Holy Cross – Texas plus six against Baylor, Oral Roberts plus six against North Dakota State, Eastern Michigan, Eastern Illinois minus seven half against Eastern Kentucky. What do these all have in common? These are point spreads that I lost on a last uh, by one point late, and I don't know what it is. Like if it's odds makers or if it's Ken Palm, but I suffer more half point and one point losses in college basketball than I do in any sport. I mean, I could take a golf loss in a head to head matchup by one stroke. 
fine. I rub it off. I now have to deal with pitchers in MLB that are forced to face three batters, but the meltdown from the bullpen is coming. Fine. It happens. College football. I've seen bad beats. You know, it happens. You move on, you take notes, you move on. I don't know what it is about college basketball. There is a plethora of these one point losses. I've had six of them in the past seven days. And I think it's, the ones I don't know about you guys, but it is just the one sport where I feel more depressed and helpless when I have a one point loss in college basketball. It, it just it, it just undresses you. It sends you to bed extremely unhappy. And that's I've had one of those almost every day this week. Colin, don't you feel like this year college basketball has become like the NBA? You know, in the NBA, everybody makes a run. They're like a 12 point. You're down 12. Then you're up four. I feel like college basketball has been that this year in the second half. It's hard to feel oh, like yeah. you did a Gonzaga. That blasts me ever again on this podcast. Yeah, it, and I think that. <laughs> And I think the counter to that is, is, I mean, you look at this Duke, North Carolina game. If you're a, what a, what we call a day trader in wall street, like you can have a field day, just getting money lines and point spreads on, on either side. But I mean, you can only do that for so long. Like, I mean, betting second half totals, you know, that you can only do that so much before, you know, you, you wear the, the tread off the tire, but these one point losses, I, I, it's a different feeling with a one point loss in college basketball than it is in any other sport for me. Yeah, well, speaking of, of uh, you brought up football, I, we should have this quick conversation. Home court advantage. This is someone asked me about this on Twitter. I might as well talk about it really quick. And Colin, you can bring in your different perspective that's kind of similar in how you do it with college football. But, you know, home court advantage, a lot of people will say just average, you know, three, 3.2 points per home court when you're trying to set a line and, and set a power rating. And, you know, that's what I do. And it's an cumbersome process and you got to up you're updating all these teams all year long 353 teams you're not updating them every night but based on certain performances and adjusted box scores and things like that but you know then you take what one team's power rating is and another and then you adjust for home court advantage home court advantage is wildly wildly different in college basketball now if you go to like ken bomb who publishes home court numbers now what he's looking at is like the last 60 conference home and road games 50 or 60 um and looking at the difference in performance uh, I do something similar with historical exercise, and then also have subjective changes. Like I, I know that like a, a team like Auburn, you know that they weren't great before, but they're really good now. Their home court now is a lot more formidable. A team like Denver that's been so bad that there's a lot more noise in their blowouts. So I mean, I have them still having one of the best home court advantages in the country because of that the altitude. You know, so it's a it's part regression based on past results, and then you know what's what's driving home court in basketball is. The surroundings, how familiar you're familiar with your home gym, the home crowd, altitude, travel, La Tech. Louisiana Tech is one of the best home courts in college basketball because it's really hard to get there. Flying and then busing, and then it's one of the hardest cities in the country to get to. But there's there's a multitude of factors. Um, you know, and, and, st- and stuck to that point, if you look at the teams who are doing the best against the spread, the home teams this year, you really don't see a lot of power five schools. It's North Carolina Central, South Dakota State, Austin P, Boise State, UMass, go figure. Iowa's in there, but the rest, Murray State, Belmont, they tend to be, like you said, those smaller schools, North Texas, that are hard to get to. So you can pack the big stadiums, but it's not necessarily translating to good betting opportunities. Yeah. And- you know, the, like the worst home court advantages in college basketball, and, and I think, Colin, you would agree with this in college football, it's the MAC it, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not, not a lot of same easy travel, but like your, your MAC schools, you know, your Canisius's, your Riders, your Quinnipiacs, your Patriot League schools, your Colgates, your Navies, your Armies, your, your NEC schools, 
your, your Merrimacks, your Long Islands. These are schools that are around one and a half to two points for home court advantage. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, you have Colorado, Air Force, Altitude, right? Uh, New Mexico, Altitude, and, and the pit is usually crazy. Utah, Louisiana Tech, Texas Tech, Altitude and Lubbock, too, keep that in mind. Purdue, I have up there, West Virginia, Kansas, Utah State, um, you know, Kentucky, Iowa State, generally Iowa, Denver, Colorado State, Wyoming is actually a good one with the altitude, tough place to go. Those are the ones I have at like four points and higher. So, Kyle, do you want to give a quick uh, just an insight into home court advantage or home field advantage? Yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, home field advantage for 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 college football, the way that we do it, the way I do it, is I'll take a 10-year sample set and I'll take a three-year sample set and I want to know how you do against the spread, against odds makers' numbers. Not not exactly like, do you win at home? Of course you're going to win at home. It, it, it's college football. A lot of teams win at home, but that doesn't tell me that you're good at home. I want to know if you're consistently beating bookmakers' numbers. So I take a 10-year sample versus a three-year sample. I weight the three-year sample a little bit more. Home field advantage is generally 2.5. And then I use like a mathematical series to balance out a deviation off of 2.5. So you could have four, you could have a half a point for home field advantage, but you're right about the Mac. The Mac, I think the good example about the Mac is what kind of reminds me of some of these home courts for college basketball. If you think about Eastern Michigan football, well, at least I do every day of the year, but if you think about Eastern Michigan football, they have a track around their field. And when fans are yelling at the teams, the, the the players can't hear them. Like, I mean, you can get up an audible three or four times because the fans are so far away from the actual football field itself. It's like you can hear a pin drop because there's a track around the entire stadium. And there's not that many people there in the first place. And so for years, for over 20 years, 30 years, I I used to have this place called Barnhill Arena where I would go and watch Razorback basketball. We could cram in like a sardine can, 8,000 of us, and you couldn't hear anything. It was the loudest place in the world to watch a basketball game. And they moved us into Bud Walton arena. And what they did is they immediately put the students all in one little section. They'll give you one little section. They'll feed it up, right? They'll feed it vertically up. And I've said this a billion times. There's something about elevation, right? Colorado has 4.9 home court advantage and their elevation is 5,400 feet. To me, that matters. But places like Duke and Grand Canyon, they take their student section and they give them like the first five to 10 rows and they whip it around the entire court to make it much less friendly for the opposing team. I think teams that have that advantage, I mean, the elevation is important. The uh, the, the values and, and game difference between your home and road margin, I think is extremely important. But I don't think it's talked about enough, some of these home courts where you have students that line the first five to 10 rows all the way around the stadium. Great points there. And with, with college basketball too, if you're, if you start to get really good and you're not used to being good, what up, you know, obviously you can feed off of a crowd. You won't come out flat. You can feed off the energy. You can really get in the other team's head, but it also, the main impact it has is on refs, right? You might get a call or two the other way. If you blow a call and the crowd is getting on you, it's only human nature to maybe you give an extra call or two when the crowd is just in a complete insanity. So that's a little, little, I wanted to answer someone that asked me on Twitter. Um, but let's move on to the weekend. Let's first start with some Friday night lights. Talk about any spots that we have circled. Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday night lights. I'll mention uh, a couple here. Iona, you know, I know that they're playing without just who is out with a, an injury long term, but they've played a lot better the last couple games. Maybe they've sound, found something with the starting five. They still have no depth. They have 
major revenge against Manhattan. They do struggle with turnovers, which isn't great against Manhattan. But I might look at Iona, home Siena uh, against Ryder. And then a team to keep an eye on is St. Bonaventure. Potential sleeper in the Atlantic 10 with Osun back. You know, this team is playing extremely good basketball. They are a different team when he is in the lineup. All of their losses in the A-10 happened when he was out. Now, they only played, you know, the good teams when he was out, right? They lost to VCU, Dayton, and Rhode Island. Um, and they weren't really close to any of them. They lost by six to Rhode Island. They got blown out by VCU, blown out by Dayton. And you got to remember earlier in the year, Osun missed some time. He's their big. He's a 6'10 big. Their defense is so much better. They're rebounding. But their defense in particular with him in the paint. But Jaron English, a sophomore, uh, he missed a lot of time early in the season. And they had some bad losses out of conference to Canisius, Vermont, Ohio at home, Siena. But that was at Siena. Everyone loses at Siena. Uh, but when this team's healthy in conference play, they've been playing really well. And then they proved it at Duquesne, right? They finally played a team in the upper echelon of the conference when healthy. Um, so at home against Davidson, well, I think the markets tend to overvalue against good teams, especially this one, this version of that team. They might be worth a look as well. Bonnie's just a different team with those soon. Randall, what are you looking at for Friday? Anything? Uh, yes. and, and also just first, what are you, what are you looking at? Friday. Four spots. You named a couple of them. Totally agree on St. Bonaventure. Last time they lost with a Sunni was Buffalo back in December. Different team. Davidson's king of the little people. They play at home. They blow teams out at home like Fordham. They play anyone good. They lose. I'm curious. I'm and agree. by the way, sorry to clear up, but Osun in that Buffalo game, five fouls, played 15 minutes, fouled out. And That's exactly right. Play. Yeah, absolutely. I'll risk you guys telling me I have take lock. Yale going to Princeton. Yale's going to be favored at Princeton. I don't think so. I'll take the points there with Princeton at home. Northern Kentucky has Dante has Walton back. They're playing an IUPUI team that they destroyed. They're playing very well now. They've won uh, nine of their last 10 games. The only loss was the blowout to Wright State. They're a little bit behind there. They're one game behind in the horizon, but they've been playing very well and beating teams solidly. They played Detroit at home and won by 20. So depending on what that line is, that's another one I'm going to look at. And listen, Harvard, I still think they have talent. They're going to be home against Cornell. That's probably one, too. So some teams at home here on a Friday night that I think can do really well. Also, for some reason, really quick, people aren't buying into St. Peter's. St. Peter's has a really good record against the spread. They're playing Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac at home. For some reason, they don't buy into the Peacocks here. Small school out here in the East, but St. Peter's has been doing well against the spread. So at home, I'm probably going to roll with them as well. Colin, what do you got for Friday night? Yeah, well, uh, check schedule. Yes, Sienna is playing at home. Uh, it seems like every time we get to this part of the podcast, I'll remind people that Sienna's won every game this year at home. They've lost every road game except for one. They got Ryder on uh, on Friday night, so it's, uh, it's autoplay at this point with Sienna. Randall, I have to ask you, Ivy League, just very high level. Is Harvard winning this thing? Because the reason I say that, you know, Yale can't beat them. I know Penn is intriguing. This is a, the Ivy League tournament at the end of the year. The only four teams make it. You would assume, you know, it's probably going to be Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and Penn. You know, maybe you have a wild card in there. But Harvard's playing at home, uh, and they're hosting the tournament. And I still don't know the status of Bryce Aiken. Might be the best guard in the conference of when he's coming back. If he does, that makes them only that much more dangerous. Who, who's, who's dancing here at the end of when it's all said and done? 
Yeah, I mean, if Bryce Aiken doesn't come back, I can't take Harvard. Even though Harvard seems to really have it down in the big games in the Ivy with Amaker. I mean, th- since Amaker's been there, they won like five titles in a row. Then they were fourth, second, and first. So that's if I, if Aiken comes back, that's absolutely the bet. But I mean, I guess I have to say Yale. I mean, because they certainly have the most talent. And I told you about those out-of-conference wins. They were playing very well. Bruner inside. They're controlling pace. Just very frustrating. Yale right now is 5-1. and one, So is Princeton. I buy into Yale's talent over Princeton, particularly on a neutral court, even though I think Princeton's going to show up here at home. They beat Harvard at home. They were winning by a lot. Harvard came back on them last week. But the rest of the league, Penn, Brown, I mean, Harvard has struggled against the mediocre teams. But if Aiken comes back, it's Harvard for me. Otherwise, I have to reluctantly go with Yale. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to Saturday and talk about a couple spots that we have circled. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. What I'll mention is Mercer. Mercer is quietly playing extremely good basketball. Um, They have won seven of nine, an important game against UNC Greensboro in the Southern at home on Saturday. Should be catching... hopefully over six or seven. But this is a team, they they won at Wofford last game. They won at East Tennessee State, who I think is the best team in the conference. The Southern's a really intriguing conference. East Tennessee State, you know, Furman, UNC Greensboro. They're the top three teams. And you also have Wofford who's right there. They're all playing, well, not Wofford, but the top three are playing really well. But they're going, so they're playing UNC Greensboro at home. It's an important game for conference standings. And, you know, UNC Greensboro beat them by nine early on the season. The one thing that does scare you is Mercer turns the ball over a ton. And that is not good against UNC Greensboro, who, you know, their West Miller's pressure and press and their their, their aggressive style defense, it's not ideal. I think UNC Greensboro is third of the nation in turnover percentage forced. But it's a terrible spot because Mercer needs this game. They're playing really well. And UNC Greensboro has host Wofford next. And why is that important? Well, they lost to Wofford earlier this year in double overtime, even though they're much better than Wofford this year. And last year, they lost to Wofford three times. They lost to them at home by like 30. They lost on the road by 30. And then in in the Southern Conference tournament in the title game, they lost to them by 12. And then they lost to them again this year year in double overtime. Major revenge. UNC Greensboro has this game circled at home against Wofford. We might be looking ahead here. It's an important game for a Mercer team that's playing well. So I'll start there, Randall. The one I like is Richmond minus two, probably depending on the line against VCU. I think the Spiders cover here against VCU. Blake Francis is back for Richmond. He was the second game back. He came back there against Fordham. They didn't cover on the road. Then they go on the road against LaSalle, and they absolutely destroy LaSalle. 74-47 game was never in doubt. Neither was the cover. So they've played VCU tough in the past. And I think this year they actually have with Francis more talent. They lost by three at home last year. They won by one in 2018. Remember, this is a Richmond team here that went on the road and won at Rhode Island. So they're eight and three. They lost two games there in the middle of of, end of January. They lost Dayton at home by eight and they lost VCU away, got blown out in that game. So they're going to want revenge here. Other than that, they've won seven games in a row besides those two in the middle. They get Francis back. 
They're home. They're looking to make a run. They're getting healthy. They had some impressive wins there against some bigger schools like your Vanderbilt beginning of the year when they had Ness Smith, Boston College. They beat Old Dominion. Rhode Island, I already mentioned, was a nice road win. So I like them to cover what's going to be a small number. VCU on the road has not been very impressive at all. So this is a VCU team that lost at Dayton. They lost at Rhode Island. So this is one that can keep it close here. So I like Richmond to pull ahead and, and to win this one outright. Lowly DePaul is one in ten in conference. They're still fighting hard. Uh, they had a four point loss to Georgetown, four point uh, four point loss to Marquette in recent games. Yeah, they, t- uh, they tend to lose by like seven or eight, seven, four to eight every game. So they're still fighting. Right, and Creighton just beat Seton Hall on the road, and they have Marquette on deck. This is a great sandwich spot for DePaul to get in and get a cover. Yep, agreed. There, have that one circled. Um, I'll mention. I'll mention. Michigan State uh, against Maryland. Michigan State's their numbers are there. They're going to be at home. This is an enormous game for them. They dropped out the top 25. Michigan State, you know, if I try to identify their problems, it's, you know, two relying on Winston. Who are these secondary scores are going to step up? But they're all, their efficiency numbers are still elite. When things go wrong, they're turning it over too much. That Maryland does not turn you over. Um, so I, I think Michigan State is a small home favorite. I have not bought them over the last month. I've been waiting. I think this is the spot where they get uh, a cover uh, against a top team. So uh, I mentioned Sparty here. And then a bonus, even though I have more to come, is Ole Miss. I probably have to take Ole Miss against Kentucky. I think I've taken Ole Miss eight games in a row, first half in game. Uh, I love that team to death. Tyree, if you haven't watched him play, is on a tear. He went for a 40 the other night. Uh, Kermit Davis finally has that team playing. Randall? Frank Martin is making chicken soup out of chicken salad. That freshman, Jermaine Cousinard, got his first start over junior, the uh, junior George Washington transfer, Jair Bolden, and he had 26 points in that first game, including the game-winning running three-pointer at the buzzer against Kentucky. Since that point, Gamecocks are 7-2. and two. Defense has been solid, 59 or less points in three of the last four games. They are somehow tied for fourth with Florida in the conference, despite the fact they lost at home to BU and Stetson. If those two losses didn't happen, this team would be in in most bracketologies right now. Justin Minai is out with wrist surgery, but they're hopefully can come back in early March. I like them here in a revenge spot. They went to Tennessee. They lost by one on a last second shot. They're playing very well at home. They're beating teams solidly. The defense is there. I like them to bounce back big here against Tennessee at home. Yeah, Frank Warren's did a great job with that team. And you're right. I mean, they see, they didn't they do this last year too. Just the hard out of conference, and they get the conference, and then all of a sudden they turn it on. Colin, yeah, they're the t- yeah, they're the team they don't want to play. They played Georgia last night; they destroyed them. Yeah, uh, Colin, what do you got? Duke has not blown anybody out really in a while, and Notre Dame takes the second most three pointers in the ACC, and Duke is the best perimeter defending team in the nation. And on the flip side, Notre Dame is the worst team in the ACC in three point defense, but Duke does have a higher point distribution from in the paint. Uh, where they should dominate, and they have a major rebounding advantage, especially offensive rebounding in this game. So I think Duke is due to route somebody. Don't hate it. Um, i got to bring up – this is – I know our, our friend of the pod, Eli, is listening. Uh, I have to bring up Oklahoma State. I am not buying this Texas Tech team. People now are saying is a Final Four sleeper. It is making me vomit. I love Chris Beard. But Oklahoma State lost by, what, 155 the first time these two teams played early in the season. Lost 85 to 50. Major revenge. Oklahoma State is playing much better basketball. They hung with Baylor. They beat TCU at home easily. They won at Kansas State. You know, and so they're playing better of late. Texas Tech cannot, you know, look, they've won. They won out, beat Oklahoma, Texas, TCU. Next up, they have Oklahoma State. 
They're at Oklahoma State, then they're home against Kansas State, on the road at Iowa State without Halliburton, who might be worth 10 points to the spread. I don't know. And then they're, you know, Oklahoma, they have it a neutral. Uh, then they're home against Texas, then Baylor. So, I mean, this is just an easy stretch for them. I think they come out a little, you know, flat against Oklahoma State, and there's no way they can keep this up. During conference play, Texas Tech is shooting 39.8% from three, and they're holding teams to 26% from three. There is zero chance that persists. Enormous regression coming for Texas Tech. Uh, Oak State, live home dog. Preach, Stucky, preach. I agree with you. They're 1.31 average years of experience, 293rd in their donut, no one in the middle. I agree. Beer goggles here for Texas Tech. I don't think they're legit. Last one for me. I said it earlier. West Virginia, Baylor. This is not the matchup for West Virginia. Baylor can rebound inside with Gillespie. They, they haven't played great on the road, West Virginia. Their guards aren't great. Baylor does. They're going to have to hit some outside shots against that zone, which they're not able to do. West Virginia in conference, 62.9% from the free throw line. That's brutal if you're talking about a team that you want to cover. Only team that's worse in Big 12 play is TCU at 60.4%. What does that even mean? They, the guard play against Kansas was tough. Culver had six points. Toshiba only had two points after halftime. They were limited. They probably are going to be again against Baylor. I think this is a Mountaineers team that's actually starting to slide a little bit. Maybe Huggins had them playing above what the, really their talent level is. Two consecutive losses, three of the last five and four of the last five on the road. I think this is a big Baylor one here on Saturday. Yeah, last one for me. I'm going back to the well. I mean, it hasn't failed me yet. It was a little, little nerve-wracking last night, but I'm going to be fading Auburn again while they're on this Same. monster overtime streak. I, I oh, can't get over I mean, Colin, 22 threes. They were out-rebounded 19 to 40. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that Auburn didn't cover. With some of the most frustrating, I, I, especially because I was stupid enough to think that I could take the under here. Like I, I saw the steam and opened up and just moved and moved and moved. I understood the pace. I know Alabama's three in pace and I know all they do is shoot threes. And I know that Auburn is terrible at defending threes. I know all of this, but at some point this team has to run out of gas. How many overtime games can you play? So we're going to Missouri. Missouri is six in the SEC and shooting threes. Like I said, Auburn's 13th in perimeter defense. So Missouri does have that going for them. I can't make a huge case for Missouri being this great team, but they are playing at home. They are taking on an Auburn team that won an overtime against Alabama, LS2, Arkansas, double OT against Ole Miss, and a Kentucky win in there. The gas has to run out of the tank at some point, uh, and at least Missouri can shoot it from beyond the arc. So we're going to go fade Auburn again. Yeah, I'm with you. Missouri's playing better of late, staying in the SEC. Uh, I'll mention Alabama. Huge game for their tournament resume uh, against LSU at home. LSU... Their perimeter defense is not great, and we know Alabama's probably going to shoot 40 or 53s. Uh, I think Alabama gets this win against an LSU team that I think is a little overvalued. Now, the problem is is that I think LSU will be a dog here, and I'm going to take Alabama as a small home favorite, which is not good because the underdog in, the, in every LSU game covers. I mean, go look at it. I mean, against Missouri last game, dog. Auburn, dog. Vanderbilt, dog. Mississippi, dog. Alabama, there we go. Alabama, they beat Alabama. It's the last time a favorite one. And then, you know, it's insane that they just, the, they always cover as a dog. They, they struggle to cover as a favorite. Uh, but I like the matchup here for Alabama. Play should be rocking. I think Alabama gets this win and then puts themselves in position to make the tournament look for big days out of Petty and Lewis. Um, the only other things I had. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we go to Texas again just because I like to torture myself. But I, I mean, I don't. Iowa State, I mean, are they, I don't know how much they were already bad, but now they lose a lottery pick. How much worse are they without Halliburton? Uh, I'm not sure. Other than that, I think 
we covered all you guys said some circle that I did as well. Look out for our coverage on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. We'll have we'll cover marquee games. We'll have a couple pieces out there for other games, including my best spots of the weekend. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Mike and Colin. And uh, leave a review. Tell a friend. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. It really helps us. You know the deal. Um, good luck this weekend. And uh, let's enjoy the rest of February on Route to March Madness. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. Bring it. We're finished talking.